ברוכים הבאים בשם השם ולחנוכם בבייס השם. Welcome to our Wednesday night shir. You know every Wednesday night. Oops. Shir is always dedicated to Eliza Shlamis, Salah Shalom. Tonight's shir will also have other dedications. Namely for Yisrael Bera Pinchas. Yisrael Bera Pinchas is my grandfather, my father's father. The outside is tonight, Chav Be'ez Tammuz, every year. Um, not ironic, not a, everything's at Kachapratis, that my great-grandfather was a Pinchas. First we'll start with Al-Chaim, Baruch Atadim Al-Chaim, Benjamin Al-Zemiz. Chaim <laughs> Um, a little um, insight as to who he was, my grandfather. He was born in Krakow. Um, a sheikhid, a beidik, a chazan. He was an 8th generation Chazan actually My father was a ninth generation Chazan He was Zeichet to Daven by the Rebbe For the Ahmed As did my father As did myself He was a very Big Balmasius Nefesh Came from a very illustrious family Ironically, his last name was not Hecht. His last name was Führer. His father's last name was Führer. However, his mother's maiden name was Hecht. And in Europe, they used both last names, your last name and your mother's maiden name. 
So the paper said, Hecht Führer. As he traveled across the borders, um, they <coughs> saw the name Hecht running from the war. And um, and they let him through. They let through all the borders. And that's um, when they arrived in America. They asked them, "You can only have one last name, Hecht or Fear." So since Hecht saved their lives, basically, actually not as arrived in America. Even prior to that, I think when they boarded the ship, they asked them that because it's, uh, we have the manifest from the ship that they arrived in 1947. And they all arrived. And it says my grandfather's name is Hecht Führer, and the rest of them, the rest of the family, it says Hecht. Um, his mother, Bab Menucha, we spoke about before we told the story of the year. I inherited that was put on my grandmother, my father's mother, <coughs> when my father was born. And my grandmother, Manucha, was the one that took off the Ayinhara. Zayda suffered very badly in his knees. It's part of the Yerusha that we got from him and from his wife. My father got as well the uh, bad knees. However, as a sheikhit, he would never shekh without going to the mikveh first. Now, you can well imagine whether it was in Krakow or Zagush or Jambul or in Siberia, wherever it was, they didn't have state-of-the-art mikvehs. So, um... You needed to improvise. <coughs> I won't go into describing any mikvahs that were not apt, that were not up to par. We're not past the um, Board of Health inspection today. Mm-hmm. There were times there were in places that didn't have any mikvah at all. You have to go in the lake, which wasn't really a problem. Most towns were not so far from a lake. The problem became, though, in the winter when the lake froze. Obviously, it doesn't freeze all the way down to the bottom. It would freeze a few inches. Some places a few feet. You had to break the ice. The water underneath was not so cold. 
because it was so cold, it would have frozen. So the water itself was not so cold. So they, he would break the ice. He would go in, the table, and come out. The problem is, he didn't break the whole lake. He broke one hole in the middle of the lake to go into the mikveh, to table. Now sometimes when you table, you don't come up the same spot you, that you went in. Now when that happens, you're in trouble. Because you got to find that hole to get out of the lake. Now when you're on top of the lake, and you're standing there with a pick or with a stick or with something, you're breaking out the ice. Gitzchanetza, we say in America, you can, you can manage it. When you're underneath and you're trying to survive, it's not the easiest thing to break out the ice. <coughs> and um, Maizeda was a well-learned person, I guess, well-versed. And he knew that it says that between the water and the ice, there's a space. There's a space in between the water and the ice. So one time when he went under the table, he came back up and couldn't find the hole to get out. And he had to keep surfacing the water to get up and to breathe. He caught his breath in between and then swam around until he found the way out. But he would never shecht without going to the mikveh. And unlike the belief of the world that once you have a trauma, you can never overcome it, you can definitely overcome such things, and therefore he the very next day was back going to the mikveh. Unfortunately though, the um, the ice was not always user friendly and the flip flops weren't always um, easy to, to get. <coughs> so what one would have to do is walk barefoot on the ice to go to that hole. And when you're walking barefoot on a frozen ice, it tears the skin off the bottom of the foot. And it was quite an experience, which he did not renege on. He did not back away from. He was a tremendous Balmanagan. And we know another Mishar Shira Simcha person does not sing the song unless they're happy. His music, he would write music for four voices. He would write notes. Back in Jambul, not in Jambul, in Zagush, he was the cousin of the city. He had a, f- I don't know how many people choir. They used to all come sit in his house. They would all have their notes, their note, sheet notes. And they would practice before davening. Up on top, first picture. Baruch Hashem was to have him as sandik for our oldest son. He was by. He saw Baruch Hashem a few of my children, but he was zeichet to see many children, grandchildren, not many children, but. Grandchildren and great-grandchildren, Baruch Hashem. He died in Mises Neshika, which says a lot, which says, 
tons, as we say, about a person. He was in the hospital, actually. He had, uh, I don't remember if it was pneumonia or something. It was summertime. This is the outside of today, so obviously it was the summertime. And um, the ICU in the hospital in Nebuch was over was overfull. The intensive care unit, they had no room for the patients. They had no patients for the patients, they had no room for the patients. And um, they took an ICU patient and put it in his room. Now the ICU patient needs to be checked on every hour. Regular patient in the hospital, they check on, you know, before they go to sleep, they'll check on maybe in the middle of the night once, and they'll bring them the medicine in the morning. Or actually, they wait for them to fall asleep, and then they come into the room and they wake them up and tell them, here's your sleeping pills to help you sleep tonight. It's a typical hospital uh, <coughs> act. So his roommate was a... Uh, was an ICU patient. So the doctor was coming in every hour to examine the ICU patient. So he's in the room ready. He checked on my grandfather as well. So at approximately 3 a.m. he comes into the doctor, the ICU patient, and he checks my grandfather, and he writes on the chart, he enters patient resting well, discharged tomorrow morning. He's supposed to go home the next day. Due to the discharge tomorrow morning. Wonderful. At 4 o'clock, when he came back, he unfortunately wrote, deceased. He passed away. Take that. So in his sleep, in his peaceful sleep, where the doctor said he was sleeping peacefully, he passed away, which is known as a Mrs. Nishika. And it's a... the way that every good holy Jew would want to go. He unfortunately suffered through his years during the war as they ran from town to town. His oldest son, Ayelaibish, as my uncle would put it, the Nazis arranged his death. They had taken him out of yeshiva and they killed him. And then after all the hardships and trials and tribulations, I believe his brother was living in the town over next to theirs, and he didn't know he was there until he found out weeks and weeks later that his brother never died of starvation. He had no idea that his brother was there. Had he known, who knows? And then ultimately here in America, his wife passed away on Yudcheski slave, and his youngest son was killed in a car accident on a Chavcheski slave, ten days later. So he, sh- he unfortunately sat shiva two weeks in a row practically, with his family. And it was obviously extremely painful to see my uncle's children, my cousins, the youngest was 13 months old at the time, And several weeks later, or maybe it was months even, he had he suffered a massive stroke. And uh, he was in the ICU again in the hospital, and they used to have shifts. The grandchildren would have shifts to sit with him. A short time before the stroke, he had taught my father a kale for shul. 
father was a chaz in the Kingsway, Kingsway Jewish Center, and um, he had taught my father a keladin. So <clears throat> I was sitting there with him at night, and the doctor said he was totally, he was comatose, he was totally paralyzed from head to toe. <clears throat> Sorry. And I started to hum this tune to the Kailodin that he had just taught my father. And as I was humming the tune, I saw his finger start to go to the beat of the tune. And called him the doctor. The doctor didn't believe me because he said it's not humanly possible. And I started to sing again, and a short while later, again, he was moving his finger to the beat. And he miraculously had a full recovery a short while later. Full recovery meaning that he was talking and walking again after this. So he's obviously a man of stature, a man that wanted to make a make a an impression on the world. Sai with his beautiful voice, when he came to America, they said it was a second Yossela Rosenblatt. It was a tremendous, beautiful, beautiful voice. And it's Chusiyagun Aleinu, and I'm sure he's sitting up there now. He's singing Shira, and with my father, with his my uncles. And with his ancestors, and their shira should be niskabel, and we should have the ultimate shira of Mashiach Tzitkenu. Okay. Now the truth is, <coughs> I have an obligation to my father, Olav Shalom, as Kibbutz Aim. Since my father has an obligation to say Kaddish for his father, and unfortunately my father is not physically in this world to do so, the obligation is mine. And in this week's Parsha, we learn about just such a thing. We learn how a father cannot be forgotten. It says when it talks about inheritance, the order, the pecking order, as we say, it says ish kiyomus. If a person passes away, obviously the first, the first heir is the son. What happens? Says the Torah, Ubein Einlei, he doesn't have a son. it goes over to the daughter. Or then there goes to the brother, then it goes to the brother of his father, his uncle. It goes to other, what other, what other, whatever other relatives. That's the pecking order of heirs that the Torah tells us. The Ramban turns around and says, "What? Amongst all the the heirs that are mentioned, relative-wise." The Torah does not mention the father. The person passes away and he has a father, Achman al 
If the father is still alive to see such a thing, Nebuch, why is he not an heir? The terror does not mention that. Father should be an heir as well. And then Amban answers in his own way. But let us do look at this spiritually. In a spiritual sense, according to Chassidus, the concept of Misa, of death, spiritually, is when someone doesn't complete, does not do Terah. Does not do what he's supposed to do, according to Terah. He doesn't do the proper mitzvahs, the mitzvahs properly. And the Chazal say, the Gemara, for those keeping score at home, it's in Brachas, Taf Yud Ches Amit Beis, Tractate of Brachas, 18, side 2, the Gemara says, Rishoyim, wicked people, Shubachayayim, Kruyim, Mason. A Russia, a wicked person, even when they're sitting there alive in front of you, are considered dead. And even someone who's not necessarily a wicked person, a Russia, but he fell from the level that he should be at. The Zaya also says about him, Mandinachis Madarga, someone went down from the level where he was at. Mesa. If you want to look it up, it's in Zaya Khaila Gimel. The Altarebbe writes in the Tanya, How is it possible that a Jew, a child of God, should commit a sin? Should go against the Ratzin, the want of God? Because the concept of his belief at the moment and his connection goes into a level, a sleep mode. Because if the person at that moment that he does a sin would know that he's, God forbid, separating himself from God, from the oneness of God, would never, ever do a sin. And you look over there and pay the test and Tanya, you could learn all about it. Therefore, we understand now why the terror does not mention the Father when it comes to Pasha's Nachlis. It hints to us that a spiritual death comes because the person does not remember his father. Who is the father of Inu Shabashamayim, our father in heaven? For if he would remember, he would never come to the level of death. He would never fall from the level that he belongs at. He would remain alive at all times because he'd be attached and totally connected with God. So this, of course, this week's Parsha, it talks about again the story of B'nai Slavchad, where their father dies and does not leave an heir, does not have a son out upon him. They wanted to be the heirs, they wanted to collect the inheritance, which they do. 
a separate parsha of the Torah is mentioned just because of it. There was a chassid who became a chassid of the Alter Rebbe and ultimately was a chassid of the middle Rebbe, his son, and ultimately the next Rebbe, the Tzemachsedek. But they say this man was holy enough to be a Rebbe in his own. He was known as Abhil Paracha. And the Rabbeim always sought to send him on missions. Rabbeim was way over 60 years old already when the Samach Sedek sent him on a mission. And he was deep in Russia in some favor from the Darifal, some far-flung place, and a storm broke out. What are you doing in a storm? You're not, running, you're not going nowhere in a storm. And so, he pulled into an inn. Miraculously, he found one. And even a greater miracle, the innkeeper was Jewish. And not by coincidence, he recognized the hill. He said, oh my gosh, such an illustrious guest. Reb Hill, please let me give you food, let me give you a change of clothes, give you a nice warm bed. Reb Hill said, I don't want, there's only one thing I want. It's time for Maidiv. I need a minion. <laughs> <laughs> the innkeeper looks at a hill and says, a, a minion, really? If you can make a minion out of you and me, we're okay. You know the mathematical equation, you and me, the both of us, I come with you, etc., etc., and you try to keep putting in until it becomes ten. He says, where am I going to find ten people now? Eight more people. It's not, it's not a The Hill said, I need to have married with a minion. He said, but in such a circumstance, there's a hat it's permissible, you don't have to kill yourself. <coughs> he said, it's not unheard of, not acceptable. Find me a minion. Go around and tell each person, I'll give them a ruble if they come to the minion. <coughs> a ruble was a tremendous amount of money. People earned a tenth of a ruble on a day's wage. Here you're getting ten days' wages in one shot for a mitiv. No, I'll give a ruble to everybody that comes. The innkeeper had no brain out of hill is uphill. He dresses himself up warmly and he goes out on the trek. And miraculously enough, in a much shorter time than he expected, he actually was able to rally up seven more people. So here they were, the seven people, the hill and the innkeeper. Now no matter whose math you're going to use, that's not ten. 
This is not a minion. He says, but we don't have any. Where am I going to find another guy? And he says, think. The Baal said, if a minion comes together and there's nine people, a tenth one will definitely show up. Think, where are you going to find me a tenth person? Finally, one of the people says, the only one that's remotely that could possibly be it's a dream about, but it's not even a dream, is Vitali. Vitali Rachman son was a Gishmat Eid. He he converted. And he married a Shiksa Rachman son. And he had children with the Shiksa. It was a pretty serious situation. And it was a Gishmat Eid, so nobody even considered him Jewish. They said, if you're going to consider him for a, ten- a center. And besides which, Afan Gutten he's 25 minutes away from here. And this storm is going to take an hour. And there's no way he's coming. Anyway, the hill would take not take no for an answer. Someone burnt the cake. And um, he would not take no for an answer. And the innkeeper put himself back together again and went out to go get Vitali. He slept up, it took him an hour to get to Vitali's house. It's late at night already, he gives a clap off a tear. He bangs harder. Another time. He hears a groggy voice. The wife opens the door. Sees this evil out in the storm. It's come inside. And so we need Vitali for a tenth guy for the minion. We're willing to pay him thirteen ru- Oh, the bill said get Vitali and tell him you give him thirteen ruble. Not a penny more. Thirteen ruble. In the meantime, Vitali hears the noise. He wakes up. He says, "What's going on?" He says, "The hill parasha wants a minion. Good attend guy." Say, "You mashiga, get out of here, you nut job!" Throws the blanket over his head. Not going. I'm not davening. I don't daven anymore. I don't do. It's a, the innkeeper says, okay, I got the results I expected. I didn't think anything better would happen. And he picks himself up and he starts to walk to the door. He gets to the door and the wife screams, wait, wait, wait. She walks over to Vitali. She slaps off the blanket. And she starts to scream at him, shaking it. You make one-tenth of a ruble every night you go out to work. You work all night for that. 13 rubles about 4 months salary it's 4 months wages I can get new shoes I can get new dress what about me you don't want money it's good for you I need the money what is he asking you to do already 
No. The wife's not going to let him sleep anyway. So he picks himself up, and he gets dressed, and he follows the innkeeper back for the hour trek to the inn. And they say, okay, and Hill says, it's the minion, the papa yamak on his head, they start with Rachman. Hill was a chazan, and he davened with kavona, with a slavas, with a flame, with a, a tune, and the eeriness filled the air. And although it was late at night, nobody moved, nobody stirred. They just davened with him. They were so in, in, captured by his sincerity. Half hour later, Myra was over. Try doing that today. See how many people you're gonna have left in your minion. Um, <laughs> half hour later, Myra was over. And um, Vitali asked the innkeeper, who is that? She so says, this is Hillel Paracha. Vitali says, Hillel? He says, yeah, why? He says, when I was a boy, the entire town one day was stirring and hooing and hawing and running and yelling and screaming preparing and cleaning and cooking because a famous rabbi, a great person was coming to town, Reb Hillel, Reb Hillel, Reb Hillel. I remember like today, the way they were screaming, Hillel, I was about five years old. But I remember there was such passion, passion about Reb Hillel, Reb Hillel. And this must be the same Reb Hillel. And so Vitaly and Reb Hillel went into a room and they sat down for two hours to talk. Vitaly came out, he was bawling like a baby. And he gave the 13 ruble to the innkeeper, and he says, do me a favor, go back to my wife. Give her the 13 ruble. She earned it. And Vitaly himself picked himself up, became velvel again, went back to the Tzavachsedek to learn and to do full tshuva. <coughs> we see, therefore, a person makes a turnaround a form of tshuva, where a complete tshuva, tshuva shlema, and the person becomes what they need to be. Now the truth is, we don't have much time really for this year, <laughs> because in this hour today we have to still build hilchas beis habechira, and we have to also learn some halachas for the three weeks. <coughs> Parshas Pinchas has got to be discussed regardless. Pinchas ben Elazar ben Aaron Akayim, Pinchas Elio. We know that Pinchas ultimately became a Leonavi. So therefore Pinchas never passed away. And this episode that takes place in the beginning of the Pasha with Zimri, the Nasi of Shimon, sins with a Midianite. He sins with a Midianite and Pinchas takes the law into his own hands and he kills him. As he's Chayib Misa. This caused an uproar. This caused a major uproar amongst the Eden. Well, first of all, the reward we know, he became a Kayan, 
because you avenged my mission, says the Almighty, he made Pinchas a Koyin. But the Torah tells us who's Pinchas? Pinchas ben Elazar ben Arna Koyin. Pinchas, the son of Elazar, the son of Arna Koyin. Elazar was married to his aunt's sister. Elazar had an aunt, Zepeda, who was married to Moshe Rabbeinu, who was the daughter of Yisrael. And Elazar married another daughter. So Pinchas' mother's father was Yisrael, correct. Tells us the Teda, Zimri ben Solon is Sibe Sola Shemaini. Rashi says, Bimokim, this is in chapter 25, verse 14. Rashi says, In the place where it talks about the tzaddik for praise, it talks about the wicked person in embarrassment. All the ones, all the explanatories of, of Rashi ask a question. What was the G'nai to Zimri? How is it embarrassing to Zimri when you tell what we say, Nasib Esav Shimani? He was the head of the tribe of Shimon. Where do we therefore see that this is a... They tagged on to him the G'nai, the embarrassment of Arasha. Perhaps we could say the explanation is beforehand when it talks about, as we said before, Pinchas ben Elazar ben Arna Rashi explains why does it have to say ben Arna Why does it not suffice to say Pinchas ben Elazar? Or just Pinchas? And Rashi explains, Show you Ashvatim Mivazan, I say. All the Shvatim were embarrassing Pinchas. Her isem ben puti zeh shepitam avi avmir imay agolim avidizara. Look at this offspring of this man that used to stuff animals for avidizara for idol worship. Yesterday was a koyin for all different idols. And what did this guy do? Vehorek nasi shevet Yisrael, he killed a nasi of the shevet Yisrael. Says Rashi, the Fihach Ba Kosov. Therefore, the Posik tells us, V'yachsu Acharan, it brings his his ancestry, his lineage, going back to Aaron. It doesn't mention that he's the grandson of Yisrael, it mentions he's the grandson of Aaron Akayin. Why? Because the Shvatim were complaining that Pinchas. Kill the Nasi Shevet Mi Yisrael. Not because he was doing the mission of God, but because he had a nature of an Achzer. He had a wicked nature within him. 
And therefore they said, look at his grandfather, used to stuff animals to make them fatter for the Avedizara. And therefore they said that this nature that Yisrael had, Pinchas inherited. Guys. It's getting a little off, to, off over there. And even more so, the Shvatim were pushing that Pinchas used this nature in order to kill not just a person, but a shavit, a Nazi shavit be so. And this they were causing this whole uprising. The chayna between Pinchas and Zimri, look at who they are. Zimri is a shavit, a Nazi. And he has to worry about his whole shevet of Shimon. And his whole mission was to save his, nation, his whole tribe. Like Rashi says before, that when they gather together the shevet of Shimon to Zimri, and said that they were, they were decreed to be put to death, then Vayikra Hamidyanis, we find therefore yes, that Zimri was Ish Chesed and this kind, wonderful person that saved the entire tribe of Shimon was put to death by this Achzer Pinchas says the Tera now the Yichas is from Aaron Akayim and, and therefore Heshiva Kaddish Baruch the Abish is answering their tightness. He's answering what they are putting forth. Saying that the work of Pinchas came because he's the grandson of Aaron Akayin. Aaron Akayin was Raid Ayyiv Sholom, Raid of Sholom. He used to fight and chase for peace amongst people. And Dafka, because that was his roots, because that's his lineage. Therefore, he was doing what he did. To make shalom between the Yidden and the Eibishter. Veheshev es chamosi me'al b'nei Yisrael. So b'mokim sheyichas ha'tzadik l'shvach yichas ha'rasha l'gnai. In the place where the tzadik is put to praise, the rasha, the wicked, is put to embarrassment. Also Zimri, even though that what he did looked like a complete and total kindness, This only came to him because he came from Shimon. The Tzedek says about Shimon, "Klechamas mecheresayim." So his ma'aseh ultimately, where Shimon sold Yosef, comes about in a place to hold back the Magefa which came about this whole plague that came about the Jews because of their sin, Zimri did to hold his back from tshuva. He held him back from doing tshuva. And that is the worst axarius that a person could have. I want to, before I go to the uh, other halachas, to the halachas of Rambam, 
to of Hilchas Beis Bechira and Allah of three weeks. I have to tell a story that I read the first time today. Um, it's an interesting story because it happened at the OL, and I had a very interesting story at the OL this week already. Already, so I'm not going to repeat that story, but I'll repeat this story. There's a a man who's now the a mayor in Israel of a city. I don't know which city. He's a Rav, actually a Rav Edan. Rav Edan was a uh, Rosh Kail in Bnei Brak. And Rav Edan came to the oil. This is probably the year 2006. He came to the oil with a few people, at least with one person. And he was sitting there writing his part or whatever he was doing. Mm-hmm. And he noticed a young pair of children, a boy and a girl, they were too young to be married. They were definitely not security. They were too young for that too. But they were looking. They were checking each man as they walked by. They were looking, looking, checking. So what could be going on here? So they even told the person that was with him, go find out what's going on over here. It turns out the two of them were 16 and 13. <coughs> when this fellow confronted them, they said, it's nothing, it's nothing, and they left. A short while later, they returned again. They returned again, again, they're looking and looking and looking. And again, the man came over and says, please tell me, what is wrong? And the girl said as follows, Our parents, many years ago when we were little, had a falling out. And it got nasty. My mother mixed in my, her family and his family, and she really put down my father very, very bad. And my father got very, very upset, very hurt, and he picked himself up and left. And everybody freaked. Everybody figured he'll be back a week, two, whatever, a few days. He'll be back, you know, forgive. And after a day or two, my mother felt very bad and she actually wanted to ask Mechila, ask forgiveness, but she couldn't find him. She couldn't, there was nowhere to be found. There were no cell phones at the time. We were little children. She called his family, she called everybody, the police. He disappeared from the, ma- from the world, face of the earth. So we were never stuck without a father. And um, our mother raised us. And she was doing a pretty good job. Recently, um, I had a dream, says the girl. I had a dream that I came to the oil that I came to the oil no, I'm sorry, that I came for dollars by the Rebbe I came for a dollar by the Rebbe and standing online waiting for a long time And the Rebbe told me, I burst out crying, saying, I don't know where my father is. And the 
he left the house so many years ago. And the Rebbe told me, go to the, come tomorrow to the oil, and you'll find them there. So we're here. And we're looking for our father. <laughs> Needless to say, everybody backed off. And want to see what's going to develop here, what's going to come about. And they stood and they waited. And another man, another man, another man, as men came in and went and came and went. And they said that um, our mother said that uh, my brother looks just like my father. And she also said that uh, everybody knew that I look just like she does. Vanished. So we're standing and we're waiting. All of a sudden a bus shows up of tourists. Come to the hill. This bus of tourists unloads. Everybody's getting off and they're looking and they're looking and they're looking and there's nobody to find. And then this well-dressed man with a straw hat gets off the bus. And he comes into the aisle and he starts to stare at these two kids and he recognizes the girl and then they start to look at him and they see that the similarity between the boy and him and they both burst out crying and the father and children were united. Yeah, it's quite a powerful story. But these are things that go on on a constant basis, apparently. And Rabbi then witnessed this himself, so it's not a third-hand story, or anything. he told the story. So we see that there are many brachas that are always there for the giving, for the taking, that the Rebbe is here for us, whether we sit in 770, whether we go to the ale, or as this girl had it, whether you go to sleep at night. <laughs> And in her dream, the Rebbe came to her and told her what she needed to know once wanted to hear. No. Let us go to Hilda's base of here a little bit. During the three weeks, the Rebbe said, and since this is the time we're looking forward to the construction of the Beis Amigdash, we mourn the destruction and we ultimately don't become complacent and just sit and mourn and feel sorry for ourselves that there was a destruction, but rather we look forward to the rebuilding of the Beis Hamikdash. Therefore, the Rebbe said there are three things that should be studied. One is the Navi Yecheskel, who talks about the Nevuah, the prophecy of the third Beis Hamikdash. Second, the Mishnayis Midais, which talks about the second Beis Hamikdash, and of course also the Rambam on Hilchas Beis Abichira, which talks about the Beis Hamikdash. We're not going to learn everything right now. We'll take something from each 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 subject. Perik Mem Pasuk Dalid. Perik Mem starts off that the Malach appeared and took Yecheskel to Harabayas. 
and is telling him that I'm going to give you now a royal tour of the temple. By Dabarilai, Pasik Dal, the Pasik says that the Yecheskel says, the angel spoke to me, Ha'ish, Vayidabarilai Ha'ish, he calls him Ha'ish. Ben Adam, he says, son of man, Re'eveinecha, see with your eyes, Uvaznecha Shema, and hear with your ears, Vesim Libcha, and take to heart. L'chel ha'shenimara Eisach, everything I'm going to show you, Kilamanara Eisach, for to show you Uvaznecha, and I brought you. But not just that I should show it to you, but you have a mission. Hage this kolashet tereya, leves Yisrael. You need to tell all this to the Jewish nation. You need to tell them that there is a future, that there is a Beis Hamikdash and it is built, it is existing, and we just need to do that one more mitzvah to bring it down into this world. But he tells him, the Navi tells Yecheskel. Sometimes you listen to a story and you say, okay, I can repeat the story. Sometimes you get emotionally attached to the story and you repeat the story. And sometimes you become one with the story and you relive the story. You don't just tell it over. But this is what the Navi tells Yechesko. See with your eyes, hear with your ears, and take it to heart. Totally envelop yourself, totally take it from all sides, from every angle. And become one with this story, become one with what I'm about to tell you, what I'm about to teach you. So that you can give over the lesson, you can give over the message to the Jewish nation. So that they can have the strength. So that they can have the capacity to overcome the exile in which we are in, knowing that we are getting out of this exile very soon. On the more lively side, we learn Masechtas Midas, the Mishnayis, and the Mishnayis, of course, also tells us of all the different parts of the Beis Hamikdash Hasheni. Thank you very much. Is that getting covered? It's too hot. It's too hot. All the other different parts and all the other chambers, etc. But the Mishnayis begins telling us about the Shmida. The Shemnim, the guards that were placed throughout the Beis Hamikdash, and in Masech Tzmidah is Pedek Aleph Mishnah Beis. We hear the roll call: Ish Harabayis, the man of Harabayis, the man that was in charge. He would go around on each and every shift. Vavuka is Delkim Lefanov. Since at night time, he had torches that lit the way for him to walk. Any guard, Sheina Eimer, did not stand up. and say to him, Ish Harabayis, Sholem Alecho. If the guard didn't say, Ish Harabayis, peace unto you, Nikar. It was recognizable, Shehu Yishin, that he was sleeping. See, like tonight, someone's not sleeping through the shir. It's recognizable. I'm multitasking. Yes. 
Says the Mishnah, what was the punishment? What? Yeah. They beat him with a stick. And they could light his garments on fire. And if that happened, and if they beat the king, the levy, the guard, and they lit his garments on fire, he would scream, yell. And the people in Harabais would hear the screaming and the yelling. They would say, What's this screaming? And everybody would know, Kel ben Levi. Lekia, it's the voice of a Levi that's being beaten, or begadav nisrafim, and his garments are being burnt. Why? He fell asleep on his shift, on his guard. And Abeliezer ben Yaakov, even Abeliezer ben Yaakov says, and so the Mishnah finishes, Pamachas, one time, Matzu, as Achi Ima. They found my uncle, Yishin, was sleeping on, his, on the duty, the Sophos Ksusay they burnt his clothes. Ksusay, the garments of a person obviously are the outer things are things that are exterior, that are not connected to an actual person. Each person needs to constantly be on guard, as we said before, that each person needs to remain and understand that they always remain connected to their Father in heaven, to God. And by severing this and by sleeping on your job, by not being on your toes when you need to be, this ultimately causes havoc and therefore needs to be burnt, needs to be beaten to put the sense back into the person. Um, Turn to Rambam. We'll go to Hilgas Beis Abachira. They built the base Amigdash out of stone. Avne Hechel Vazaris, the stones of the Hechel Vazaris, Shenif Gimu, Aishinigmetu, if they got chipped or they became imperfect, soon they were puzzled. Vehain Lampidion, and you could not fix it. Ellen Ignazim, you threw them into Shemus. The stones needed to be perfectly shaped. Now, in order to shape a stone, sometimes it had to be done, it had to be hewed out, it had to be taken apart. And this was ultimately done off Harabai. It says it's 10 o'clock, I better move. Kalevin Shinagabah Barzal, another din, any stone that was touched by metal, even if it was not. It made him perfect. Sula becomes possible. Binyan Hamizbeach, or Binyan Akevesh. Shneva Wai Kichar Bechal Nefes Oleh Vaschalel. And finishing off the the halacha of Abena, even Shnagu Babazel, if you built with a stone that metal touched it, Bimizbeach and Bekevesh, Leka you received Malchus. You received your lashes. Shneva received the Essen Gozes Abena even Pegim. Again, here we talk about the Kichar Nefes I believe I mentioned before, it's brought down in Savos Rivash, that a mezuzah is brought for Shmira, is used for Shmira. 
And therefore, the Tzavos Yivash, the Baal writes that we should, one should not use a metal case for his mezuzah because metal is iron, it's used for vatchala, it's used for war, for battle. And even though so someone who uses sterling silver, should be okay, whatever it may be. The bottom line is we should be zeicha, we didn't learn anything about it for three weeks. We should be zeicha that the Vinyan Beis Hamidah should have happened this very Shabbos, even though this Shabbos is not even Shabbos Chazayin. And we should be zeicha to the Vinyan Beis Hamidah Shlishi with Mashiach Tzidkenu this very Shabbos. Shabbat Shalom to all.